Welcome to the Out of Ashan podcast. I'm your host, Co. And I'm Yao. Good to see you, brother. Yeah, you too. I had a conversation with one of my students, and it brings up the age-old scenario that a lot of us whose parents are from Ghana um, tend to go through. So, you know, th- this brother comes in, he introduces himself, first of all, in a in American dialect. So he was mumbling, so I really couldn't pick up what he was saying. Was he a freshman or was he young? Like, how old was he? Freshman, first year student. Oh, okay, yeah. So he's, First year he, student. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't know if he was timid or what. So um, in the midst of the conversation, I'm asking, asking for his email address, telephone number. As I'm writing down his, his email address... It says N-A-N-A-K-O-F-I. I'm like, Kofi. Hmm. So I'm looking at it. It says Nana Kofi. So I said, pronounce your name. He goes, Nana Kofi. <laughs> He's from Atlanta, Georgia. So I said, sir, please say it the right way. Nana Kofi. I said, okay. So he started laughing. I said, my parents are from Ghana too, man. So he said, oh, for real? I said, why would you give me the American accent dialect? Because I said, I remember we used to do the same thing when we were younger. But you know what's so interesting <laughs> that he couldn't pick up that you was from Ghana. That That's, that's very... It didn't even... Wow. Couldn't pick it up mm. <laughs> at all. It's interesting, right? Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't pick it up. Yeah. He didn't know. Which is maybe because I think for a lot of people, I don't know if PNM is not a common last name. Like, I, I'm sure if it was uh, Sapong, Ajapong, something different that's pretty common, Owusu, he would have picked it up immediately. Mm. But I think PNM, that's the uh, the spy name. You don't know where that, <laughs> you don't know, is he from France? If he, we don't know where that brother's from. So, but you you felt the sense of liberation and freedom once that connection was made, because then it was like, okay, now he was he was his own self again. Felt almost like talking to like somebody from his family, from his mm-hmm. clan, uh, you know. And, and we were just having a nice conversation about you know the ebb and flows, like you, as you just mentioned the code switching. But it brought me back to why do we do that in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why is it we, you have a fear or hesitancy to be your authentic self? regardless of who's around. And I mean, if you look at me, you didn't know where I was from. Even if you thought I was uh, an African-American or so, he still couldn't feel that connection enough to be him. But I'm like I said, I'm sure if I knew he knew, it would have been a totally different story. But he's at an Afro, he's at an HBCU. So that, isn't that supposed to be, so that's so systemic, right? Because that's, that's pretty deep now that I think about it. You're at an HBCU. I can see if he was at a PWI. Right. But you're at an HBCU and you still are struggling with your identity. So you can see that divide and conquer or that division that is amongst us as a people. And what I've been learning, you know, even as I'm doing the Nexodus podcast and I'm going through the bloodline of Esau in chapter 36 of Genesis and then into 37, it goes into the story of Joseph and how he was sold into slavery by who? his brothers, mm-hmm. to the Ishmaelites. Who are the Ishmaelites? The Ishmaelites is from the bloodline of Abram. That's Abram's child with Hagar, Hagar. Mm-hmm. who was from the seed line of Ham, as they put it. But I think that was a misinterpretation, but it's Japheth, but we won't get into that right now. But from the bloodline of Ham or from Mizraim, a.k.a. Kemet, a.k.a. Egypt, as we know now. And he was from the western part Niger, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Gold Coast. That's why you have in the older maps Judah, or you have Tira, Peleg. These are all the bloodlines that are in Genesis chapter 10 that are still in existence in some of these cities in Niger or Negro land. So that's a whole nother story. But us being from that bloodline, from those seedbeds, you see even to this day, we amongst ourselves are divisive so we always looking outside of ourselves and saying oh what the europeans have done to us or the colonization has done to us or they're oppressing us da, da, da. we have to be wise enough and mature enough now to begin to say hey we need to look within and see how we are affecting ourselves how we're enslaving ourselves because slavery started within first and then others came in and capitalized because the house divided can't stand so when you share that with me about the young man coming in and once he felt a sense of unity, when you opened the gate for him to be himself, when you were able to bridge the gap and say, hey, no, I am you. 
it automatically gave him a whole sense of freedom that now he's your disciple. He's going to be coming to you, mentoring all the time. Now you, that's a person we can impact. And that's the power of having elders or leaders to help the youth understand who they are. Cause a lot of these children today are lost in the mix, whether they have to code switch, you talk about Ebonics, like we do a program uh, with our educational music app, where we talk about ELA, um, English language and art. And we talk through different semantics and language and syntax and all those different portions of what words mean in its inception before we begin to use it and understand what those words are forming in your mind that then calcifies into matter. And that's being a part of the image of the Most High. Remember when he said, let there be light, light was going, the sun wasn't created to the fourth day, but that light was just traveling until it formed into matter and became what we see every day that goes up and down. That's the power of the Most High. The Most High is still in control of the whole earth realm, but he gave human beings the power to do what they do. But if you are divided among yourselves, divided among ourselves, you will never get the power if we don't unify. So you being at HBCU, this young man comes to you. He comes in from his construct being from Ghana, but born, was he born in Atlanta or was he born in Ghana, then came to Atlanta? He was born in Ghana and then came to Atlanta. So he was born in Ghana and then... Born in Ghana. Wow. (laughs) So that goes into what you were talking about earlier about that whole concept of how things are spreading across the board because of media that the Western ideals and mindsets and ways of being is being pushed into all corners of the earth right now because you asked Mm -hmm. him you should share more about that conversation because i wanted to save it for our viewers um and those who are listening how as you were talking with him about going back home what were some of the things he was sharing with you well yeah so so the idea i think i asked him when is when was the last time he had been back home i think he said it was it was pre-covid so when i asked him you know are you here that's not long yeah yep but yeah, not long at all. Well, that was the last time he was there. That that was probably just for visitation. Mm. Now, now when I was talking to him, asking him, okay, if do you plan on taking your education because you're, you're going into finance, and he was telling me the different aspects of what he wants to do, and it mainly centered around helping people. What I realized here, especially here at this HBCU, a lot of students, their ultimate goal is to help their own community. Nice. That's, that's so that is that's that's the baseline. And then they're just utilizing the different tools and the mechanisms to say, okay, how can I get a job to make money? Because a lot of them want to do a lot of things, whether it's in the nonprofit space, things in the local community, but they pick this avenue of finance because they know they can make a lot of money. So mm-hmm. let me go in there, get as much money as I can, learn how this thing works. Ultimately I can take the resources and do what I really, really want to do. Because a lot of these millennials are very conscious about how they spend their time. They're not too uh, thrilled about this whole idea of working 12, 14, 16 hours as they do traditionally at Wall Street. Mm. So a lot of them are at that crossroads, like, do I want to even venture into this world of investment banking or wealth management or, you know, private equity? Because that's what Wall Street is. And they've always had this idea that they can see themselves there. But as they get closer and closer to reality, they're starting to second guess, like, hmm, I don't know if this is for me. Because, you know, once you get in there, this becomes your ultimate priority. This becomes your identity. This becomes your life. And in some cases, even talking to my son, uh, a couple of uh, my young ladies here, they were saying, well, you know, I'm looking to have a family. But mm. that gets very difficult going into this world because this world is not conducive for you to have that work-life balance where you can go and g- give 12 hours because you can't come home. You can't even create anything at home. Mm. So, you know, th- that that goes again to things that we've talked about in the past. So talking to that student, these are some of the concerns that he was bringing up. But even more so, when I was asking him about going back home, he has said he doesn't plan to go back home to start a business or to do anything. More or less, he said he would look to maybe open a rec center or do something within his in his family's hometown um, through the family name. Because he was saying the last time he was in Ghana and every time he sees it, especially talking to a lot, a lot of his uh, extended family, is that... He called it neo-colonialism, where there's a lot of outside influences mm. who have their own interest at heart and is couched or um, disguised in the name of helping the country, helping the community, but it's really not serving the needs of the masses. 
and he was talking about how a lot of the Western influences has infiltrated where depending on where you go, you can't really tell that you're even you've even left the country or that you've even left the United States because it seems like the things you see on TV, the influences are right in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And people are starting to adopt that same idea, ideals, philosophies, and now it's 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 baked into society. Mm-hmm. So the question we, we we were going back and forth is how do you change that? What does that look like? Because it ultimately comes down to the individual. And that's why I was even telling him, I said, for me, because when you think of it too hard, you'll begin to get discouraged because you're like, this is too massive. But I said, just as we're having this conversation here, that's that's a one-off connection. So I didn't even know you before an hour ago. But now, based on our conversation, we share like-mindedness. And we can see, okay, and strategize now how we can maneuver, how we can kind of begin to create a plan or begin to alter our thinking and begin to move forward because as one does it, it's almost like a spark. It, it, it can become contagious immediately mm-hmm. and then it can spread. The more people you talk to, the more people you have access to and then you just, you just never know how that thing can take uh, take hold and take shape. But one thing I've noticed in the last three, four years is that the majority of students who come to my office that we have these conversations with typically come from the garden or have some connection to back home. Mm-hmm. It never fails. Mm. They they've always because I, it's it's almost like seeing myself all over again as mm. a, as a young as in my in my younger years mm-hmm. and have it's almost like you're having a conversation with your younger self because it's typically people whose parents are from there and that they were either born here or maybe left um, the continent at a very young age and were basically grown have been raised in the the American society so they have that pluralism they have that. Um, traditional value system of African household, but living in a house in a Western country. Mm-hmm. And then you, and you're toting that line. And then you're, so just as when I met him, he decided to disengage his essence of Africanness because he may not have known, maybe he didn't feel safe, or maybe he was like, I don't know how this is going to be perceived because typically, you know how it was growing up when you're in class and you're doing roll call, when they try to pronounce your name, they're adding syllables, taking away syllables. You like just just call me. Matter of fact, you just say you know what, just call me John, because they don't even want you. You don't even want them to pronounce your last name because mm-hmm. it's not it's not the standard Johnson Smith Howard. It's nothing like that. It's P and M. They start adding P and Nism. I mean, I'm like you could just look at it and pronounce it. I said just the way it looks is the way it sounds. P and M. P and M. So. So, but, but, you know, that, that that's some of the minor struggles that I think students face. And I, and I was telling him, you know, first impressions are everything. And you're, he's confident when the, when there was a comfort or there was, there was safety in the conversation. But I said, you never know who you're going to meet. Mm-hmm. And you always want to carry yourself in a way because respect comes in a way when people can see like, okay, you know what? I know who you are, but don't diminish yourself, devalue yourself or try to um, lessen who you are only because you fear how you may be perceived. So we had a great, great, great discussion, but it, it was it was just interesting enough that you know these are conversations and things that we had gone through as children living in the United States. You know, so seeing it in full action, I'm like, okay, you know what? I wish somebody would have told me back then. Right. So he can say, you know what? Now going forward, no, nah, no, nah, you know, pronounce your name the way it is because people like to see that you're diverse you come from something else mm-hmm. don't stop trying to blend in that's and your that power goes into, exactly. that's your power yeah. yeah yeah so as you was talking about earlier about the unification and, and alignment it starts there as well because if you're you're trying to separate yourself from the essence of who you are how are you going to be able to uh, connect and unify with people on the outside you're, you're having internal struggles mm-hmm. and and that's even far uh, far bigger issue than what's going on in the outside world and I love that because it once again we can swing back to the biblical documentation of Joseph when he got sold into slavery by his brothers, and you have that residual of generation to generation because if the most high put it that the sins of the father or the actions of the father can go three to four generations. So even if you look at the Willie Lynch documents, he said if you train people to hate themselves then it will perpetuate for many generations and continue to go. So we see here, you now in your 40s, seeing a young 20-year-old, that's another generation in the same sort of cycle. So now the beautiful thing, as you said, is how do we now make the shift 
so that when we come into these Western worlds, when we come into, i.e., for Joseph, the Egypts of the world, the dynasty, the beginning of civilization, the biggest dynastic empire of all time, arguably, which is true because even the Greeks got their information from Mizraim, a.k.a. Kemet, a.k.a. Egypt. And when I use those different terms, it's depending on who came in and who didn't and how the different power struggles changes the name. So you do like what you said, just call me John, because Mm -hmm. that's the comfortability within a captivity or within a colonial system that you are now a part of. So once you find allegiance with others who are like you and you begin to think, all right, now how do I maneuver this so that it works in my favor? Joseph had to be strong enough to do that. So what is the problem that we're dealing with on the continent, like this young man said, where he doesn't want to go back home because it's like being in the West. Well, what he doesn't understand is being in the West is still the same thing. So how do you maneuver in the world period and think more globally and think more community based? Because that's our strength is the community and the love and the unity that we have with one another. And we need leaders, leaders who are for the people and understand that if you connect with the people, you actually become more powerful. But because of colonization, most of the leaders have bought into for generations. You know, we talked about if you were a snitch, most likely your grandfather was a snitch and it's just passed down because that's the ideals and the thought process and the ideologies that was passed down. So when you see a lot of these, as they call them, satellite presidents, even though we had a, a form of freedom when we got freed in 1960s, 65, 64, all the nations were getting free, Kwame Nkrumah and all those guys. They did a great job to at least bring us to a, a, a step forward, but they're still the captive because the systems that were put in place were still from another nation. So how do we maneuver in those systems when it's not us? How do we wear this armor to fight Goliath when we used to use in nature, stones and slings? Oh, that, that's not as contemporary or that's not as modern. That's Stone Age. Okay, but the concepts are still applicable. So how do we get back to our community-based ways of being, learning from each other so he doesn't have to be afraid and he can say, my name is Kofi Nana, and say, listen, we can learn and grow together. Howard, you have this amazing opportunity and platform for us to modernize the way we do things. So that's why I'm coming to school. That's why I am here. So you can do both like Joseph. Joseph got into Egypt used his skill sets that he learned back from his father, the anointing, the kingdom, his personality, his identity, and did not surrender to the system so that even when his brothers came, when the system or when the nations were struggling and Egypt was still thriving, which is what we see today, most of us are going to other countries, you know, we'll go on a boat to try to get over to Europe or we'll try to do whatever we can to get to America, to get a visa and so forth and so on. Okay, if you get over here, and you speak in a different language, even though you may speak English, and, and we've experienced that work in, in the garden where most of the people who speak English in the eastern part of the region speak more of a British older English, whereas in the West, we speak more of an American British mix, right? So even when you're communicating with someone and they tell you in the garden, well, you promised. No, I did What you mean I promised? But because the way they perceive the language, that's a promise to them. So we take it all the way back to antiquity with Joseph. How was he able to discern that his brothers were there? Because everybody there was Afro peoples, right? Because if, if they were of a different culture or color, they would have spotted each other in all that mass and know who they are. But no, they were all dark. So no one knew who anyone was, but he knew them from language. Just like you were able to pick up from language, even though y'all were both using English, you had Kofi, which is tree, Nana, mm-hmm. PNM. You had those key words that made you connect. And that's what Joseph did when he saw his brothers. They connected. And he had to have the emotional strength and the ability to what? Say, I can be vindictive because you sold me. But even in your wickedness, the most I made it for good so that we could what? Save a people. He was a a leader for the people. 
So you are a leader for the people. That's why these children gravitate towards you. That's why he brought you at such a time as this, where the millennials are saying, I want to go back home. I want to feel community. I want to start a family. I want to build. They want to get back to the ways, the natural order of the most high, which is a part of the dry bones living again, which is a part of prophecy. And you get to use that in contemporary marketplace spaces so that when they go into these ventures, they're becoming more entrepreneurial or they're going into Wall Street, they're going into the financial sector with a proper mentality so they can maneuver it to not only take care of themselves, but ultimately bring it back home like Joseph did, where he was able to sustain his family and their seed till now because of his obedience that goes from generation to generation. So you implanting what you do at Howard, which is one of the top, if not the top, depending on how you look at it, as far as from a a promotional standpoint is in the bedrock of the most strongest nation, as they say, in Western world as Washington, D.C., United States. Look at the parallels of the ancestral documentation that teaches us how we're supposed to move in these spaces. So being able to teach these children, that's what we do at Light Your Path. That's what we do through Out of Ashan. That's what we do through Ashan Foundation. That's what we do through Back to Eden Global is how do we galvanize ourselves, not only as the diaspora and the continent, but how do we now use our gifts and our talents as we are throughout the earth? How do we bring it together? What are some of the other ways you're seeing with the young people as far as them wanting to work in the community? Is it just in the finances only, or are you seeing a lot more entrepreneurial thought processes? Are they looking to to impact other people to build and grow? What are some of those other things that you're seeing? Um, thus far as you've been working there at Howard? Well, when it comes to the area of uh, entrepreneurism, not at all. Mm. Um, because, you know, being an entrepreneur is, is, is not something that is an easy lift. That's so true. in a lot of cases, I, I've, I've engaged with students who said, no, nah, I don't have, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Primarily because it's you and you alone and or you become, um, people become dependent on you. So it's not the decisions you make. These are company-wide decisions. So if it's a layoff, if it's a restructure, those are tough, tough uh, conversations that one has to have. And some people just don't want to deal with that burden. They will rather give of their time, resources in exchange for compensation. So they say, you know what? Let me go in, do my business, and get out of there. I'm not trying to go in there because this is mine to devote 24-7, eat, sleep, and drink this one thing. Uh, but I could also say that and so, so that so, so to answer the first question, entrepreneurship typically not not high on the barometer as far as um, the likelihood or what students aspire to do. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing too is though, as I mentioned, the baseline is I know I, I have students here who they want to ultimately do like a basketball camp. They want to open Rex's. Rex centers tends to be something high because from the cities that they come from, because they're coming from all of the United States, mm-hmm. and typically from a lot of urban areas where Rec centers, community centers are usually the bedrock, the hub that gives young, young kids an outlet or a place where they can, whether it's playing sports, whether it's doing the arts, it gives them outlet and it gives them opportunities. So a lot of them see, um, especially if their parents are already in those worlds and that NGOs in the nonprofits doing things of that nature to give back to communities, they're essentially here to learn more skills in order to help the family business or the family initiatives extend uh and go 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 further further in life with a modern twist mm-hmm. however that that works so uh, th- that's the one thing i like about that because there, there are students here whose parents have already laid the foundation oh. and they're coming to build upon that foundation mm-hmm. to go forward that's cool yeah so yeah so but now uh, one thing i forgot to add in the in the previous conversation with that young brother was because i was asking him was this your first choice college he was like for me yes but for my parents no mm. and he said his he said his mom wanted him to go to an Ivy League and his dad wanted him to go to no yeah his mom wanted him to stay in the state of Georgia because they had a friend who taught at um, University of Georgia, but his dad keep him, him close to, to home. To a, <laughs> mom said keep him close to home. Dad said go to an Ivy, don't go to an HBCU. So I was like, what, why did he say don't go to an HBCU? Now keep in mind these are parents from Ghana. Mm-hmm. He's like, nah, it's just you know. In so many words, he was saying it's not at the same level of a predominantly white institution. So, but he made he he took it upon himself because he had excellent grades. He was able to secure scholarships. He said for him, 
he felt in his heart that it would, this coming here would be a far better fit for him and it would help him more long term. And he said, when I was asking him, I said, how do you think that decision went? He was like, you know what? I talked to some of my friends. I talked to people and I realized that the opportunities I get here, they're not even sniffing it. They're looking at me like, how'd you do that? How are you able to get this internship? How are you working here? How do you how how are you rubbing shoulders with CEOs and corporate people that? And I was like, I, t- I, t- I told y'all that the opportunities you're getting here is not something that can be duplicated across the board. Mm. It's just not the space. And I told him, I said, your dad was probably hating in the beginning, but by guarantee, as he begins, he sees you're traveling, he, you're going here, you're going there. When you're ready to graduate, it's gonna he's going to act like that conversation never took place. And that <laughs> this was his dream for you all along. And he was dying laughing. I said, we've all been there. Trust to believe. He's going to be there with his son. My son made it. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I said, what, do your dad, what does your dad do for a living? He said, oh, he's a, he's like a like a truck driver. He's a blue-collar worker. And, uh, but it, and even, so it makes sense why he think that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and that's part of the, even for me growing up, I remember I tell people, I said, if I would have known how HBCUs were set up and if they were marketed differently, I would have probably even considered one because I didn't even know. Like, yeah, I didn't know that H- don't I, we didn't even know that Howard University was Howard University. Yeah. Like, the only reason we came in the city was because go-go music. Yeah. So, and this was the craziest thing. You remember that place called Club U? Yeah. Club U was on the campus. I didn't even know that. Mm. Like it was, it wasn't until somebody was like, "Yeah, this." I was like, "I think it was a club here," and they were like, "Oh yeah, club, club you back in the day was in that building." And I said, "For the whole, t- it never occurred to me that we were on a college campus going to a club to go hear a uh, junkyard or different go-go bands." But I was like, "I say we came up and down George Avenue, but it was we. It didn't occur to our mind like this is an educational institution. It was more like a social gathering um, type space." Bowie State. It wasn't until college that I even knew Bowie State existed. Mm. Or even um, Towson and those other schools. Why is that even so? They- and you went to Northwestern and I went to Fairmont Heights. How come we didn't really know about, how come no one came to our schools to do? Marketing. Mm. That's why I said, I said it has to be marketing. because. So they, what type of were, students were they getting then? Were they getting people from other states that they were marketing to? Because people were going to Howard. We knew about Howard. We heard about their parties during. Um, Homecoming. Yeah, all of that. So but why see, that, wasn't. It's a national thing though. That's because that's that's you see that's publicized on the national scale, and we knew about it because it was like oh they have events and stuff like that. But once again, it was it was paraded around entertainment. But when you look at those other schools like Morgan, Bowie State, Coppin State, all the other ones that are lo- located around us, mm-hmm. never now one time did I hear an admissions counselor. I never saw a commercial. No one ever came to the school. We didn't even know that existed until. Other people was like, oh, I go here. And it's, okay, now you venture to Baltimore. Oh, this is in Baltimore? Really? We didn't even know. University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. If it wasn't Pastor and his kids going there, we didn't know Eastern Shore was HBCU. Still don't Marketing. know. I mean, just learned that, too. See? See? It, it is. It is. It is. University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. So there's a lot of Afro peoples that live on the coast right there? Well, Or they get bust into the that coast. area. Okay. Well, no, no, it's just the school because the school is predominantly African-American. Got and it. it was historically one of those land-grant institutions that that was the only place you could go to school. So it is historically, it has been that mantra. So when, I, when you look at the demographics, it's usually about 90, 95% uh, minorities or African-American students who go there. And so HBCUs were, in its inception, areas that were allowed during Reconstruction or Jim Crow in that era for Afro people to get an education and to have an opportunity, they would go to those particular schools because they weren't allowed in the PWIs or if they were, exactly. it was restricted and you really couldn't do too much. Because we know that Carter G. Woodson went to, I believe, Princeton or Yale, or one, I think he went to one of those schools and said no one has done when, in his book, A Miseducation of the Negro, a study of the Negro from his perspective no one has really done those types of studies or given the Negro a chance to have that purview, but it was always from a less than inferiority. Can I come into the school uh, or protecting himself from segregation or all these different factors that, that play such a role that some of the residue is still in our, the fabric of some of the HBCU. So maybe touch on that a little bit, the inception of, how and then what do you see now and how has it changed for the good and what are some of the things we can be mindful of that we should continue to 
strengthen and evolve in so that it becomes more beneficial for the collective as well for the individual? Well, back then, I think, as you just stated, because there were boundaries and there were restrictions to who mm-hmm. could access education. So even so, a lot a lot of these HBCUs, HBCUs, especially the public ones, they were created typically by um, the dominant culture at the time. Let's say Caucasians, but whatever it is, they decided this is a place we'll give you where you can then send your kids or your descendants to get educated. Th- these are the type of organizations and structures, uh, infrastructures that were built. Howard being one of them. Like I said, if you even hear like North Carolina, a lot of these schools were built or conceived that way. Now, as we progress into like the modern era, you find that even some HBCUs are really not even located in highly mm. urban areas. They're typically could be in the middle of nowhere. The, the city around them could be predominantly white, but the institution mm. itself is predominantly black. And that's where their minorities and uh, percentages and all that come from is the school itself. So when you just mentioned um, Eastern Shore, when you go to Eastern Shore, that region, there's sprinkles of it, but it's not highly concentrated to be where we we live. The school is represented of that, but not necessarily the demographic area or the geographic region um, that's there. Uh, but now I think over time, and as we've seen, because when we're put when we're when our backs are against the walls, right, and we're we're forced into something, we make the best of our opportunities. So way back when, these institutions of higher learning, these were they were they were phenomenal whether it's, mm-hmm. it's academic or athletics. Like um, one of the winningest, co- winningest coaches, even before, I think it's Eddie at um, Grambling. This is before the the Jim Paterno guy supposedly broke the record, but they kind of vacated it. But Eddie, because a lot of the black talent couldn't go to these places, this is why they used to dominate in football and dominate in sports. And then it wasn't until integration that dominant culture would then throw these carrots and say, hey, you, you can come play for us. You can come on here. You can be on national TV. This will be an inlet for you to get to the to the NFL, to get here, to get here. And then this is where that the, the, those sprinkles of divide and conquer started to take place. Because even now to this day, then you look at George Floyd's situation. When George Floyd took place, then there was another groundswell because it was like, okay, we are all we got. So then you started to see an uptick in HBCU attendance. So then people started to say, you know what? Let me start looking at HBCUs because it's getting crazy out here. Because we can't, we go to Charlottesville, we go to UVA, all these places. And it's like, there's no safety there. But let's go around our own people. So that's when you started to see, all, especially in colleges, you started to see the groundswell. You saw Dion and Jackson State. You started seeing a lot of people embracing their own. And now HBCUs have gotten to the point where we're known in certain circles as that's where fun happens per se, whether it's homecoming, it's live. Cause we're just, we're just lively people, you know? And too many times people will use that against us. And I mean, that's even people that look like us would say, Oh no, just in this case of this young man, Oh no, don't go to that school. They're not serious over there. But when you go to the PWI, they do the same thing at a, a, a hundredth different level, but no one ever gives them that, connotation like this is a party school this is a place where people get drunk and crazy when they know everybody does it including <laughs> the professors that are teaching you i remember so, university of maryland college park when once I again you just, a couple times i was like yo i could go here i would be flunking out <laughs> you were with me that first party we because we, we were in high school remember we went to that party and the dudes were drunk on the sidewalk couldn't even sit up we were like they had the whole street parked with pack with people drinking right. was like this is college but once again this is stuff that doesn't get attached to them negatively. So, but for us, and I even saw it in my college at Frostburg, we would go to an off-campus party. The party with the black kids, a cop will be sitting outside. It'll be just mm. 10 of us inside the house, 15 of us. The other party with white folks outside jumping around acting crazy, no one is there watching them. And then as soon as you leave, you you better not have dr- alcohol in your breath or anything because you're going to get a citation. And it's like that, mm. once again, everywhere you go. So, a, a part of the narrative is us embracing our own and, and kind of shielding out what's all the commotion going on, on the outside. Like we, we care too much about what other people think, what other people say. And that's ultimately works to our demise as well. Have the confidence, mm-hmm. like, Hey, we don't care what you think. This is how we like to do it. This is what we do. Cause you have to force them to believe and to respect you, but always capitulating to and acquiescing to what they want is always a recipe for disaster. 
But HBCUs, those institutions, I, I recommend anyone, if, if you're going to go somewhere, you're going to spend your hard-earned money to educate your son or daughter, especially if they're Af Afro peoples, send them to HBCU because the HBCU is going to teach them, require them to embrace their own. And, and many students say here, like, because they came here, they have a lot of self-confidence when they leave. This is why they're highly desirable in the workforce because they don't take too much and they go so polished. They go so with such vigor and aggressiveness because there's like they've been in an environment that was uh, th that mm -hmm. they were allowed to grow into their own. And you're not going to get that if you're going to a place where you're only one to two to three percent because you're always going to be fighting that code switching demon of trying to figure out how to fit in. These students don't have to worry about fitting in. They just they just who they are. So when they go into those circles, they command and they just let you know because they're used to it. Whereas some people, if they're not used to that type of environment, they even feel, feel a little intimidated or they feel uncomfortable when they engage with these students because it's like, yeah, we look like each other, but y'all, y'all act different. Y'all, y'all don't take BS. You advocate for yourselves. You're proactive and you're, you're, you're a go-getter. So I, I definitely implore any family, A, keep, send your kids and invest in people that look like you because they're going to require you to take history classes. You're going to be looking at the best and the brightest within your community, people that you've never ever heard of. You're not going to be taking history classes about the Renaissance mm. and Christopher Columbus. You're not even going to talk about that. You're going to, you're going to talk about what happened within your community, what happened on the African continent, mm. what the real story was. And then you can even see and be able to appreciate the, the, the matriarchs and patriarchs, those who laid the foundations before you, and then you can see where That's you good. are and how you fit into this puzzle. So you can know yeah, who and, you and are going with, for, for with sure. With this mm -hmm. new understanding of becoming more conscious, even beyond um, some of the hangups from HBCUs where they feel like, oh, you just come out and you're more of an Uncle Tom or you're more like this or you're part of a boule group or you're this or that. Those things do exist. However, with the right overstanding and having mentorship and connecting with other people who are grounded in their identity, that's the power we have as being not fully American, but too African and too African, but not enough American, that middle ground, that Joseph, that Moshe, to be able to bridge those gaps, to help bring the best parts of us together so that it can feed the whole. And we were talking earlier about that same concept with, say, India. India as we know, back when we were younger, when there was a big boom in the tech space, a lot of the corporations would go overseas because it was cheaper and they would be the customer service. 10 years forward, 15 years forward, now a lot of them have been able to take advantage of those opportunities and shift it where now they become thought leaders and CEOs and dictate a lot of where tech is going because they were able to flip that advantage. How do we as a people, knowing that we provide, depending on who you're talking to, 60 to 80% of the world's minerals or have it and supply it for so many people and the way we've been educated before, I'm talking about in the garden or on the continent, we have had an education that didn't allow us, like you said, where the PWI students don't feel as secure it's even worse in the garden when you have colonization. Colonization, I feel, is actually worse than enslavement because you think you're somebody that you're not. Whereas from the enslavement, when the HBCUs were being built up, they had to fight through so much. So they got that vigor and knew about themselves and can be demonstrative and speak up for themselves. Right. So the people on the continent have only been taught to be subservient. Don't think, don't reason, don't critically assess so it's always looking for someone else to help. Hand out, hand out, hand out. Come in, take the precious mineral, process it in other places, then sell it back. How do you see the future moving? Because as I was um, looking at the news, how Turkey, Edwan, how he is taking about 40 trips back to the continent over, over the past couple of years and doing a lot of deals in countries, primarily in Islamic countries, because that's Islamic country Turkey is, but being able to maneuver in different spaces, whether it be defense, because it's the, as they call it, the scramble for Africa again. Why do people keep scrambling for the garden? Because that's where the most high, 
that's where resources. the most high dwells that's the land of milk and honey so if the people on the continent don't know that but our people in the hbcus do know that how do we now bridge the gap don't worry about what has happened in the past be aware of it well, how do we now say, OK, the world is different. People are coming back. Even China's doing so much work there because they realize their populations are getting younger and ours is thriving. You remember when we went just to Uganda, when we went in the back country, you just see babies all over the place. These are all just everywhere. Right. So the question now is, as leaders in this dispensation of time, as we have the forefront, as we're in our prime as I would say, as the new leaders, how are we going to bridge the gap with the youth on the continent and here and realize, hey, our people here have the wherewithal. They understand business structure. They understand all these different systems and so forth and so on. And then we have all these resources in the garden and we have some of those there as well. How do we now think more like, say, India, as an example, there's pros and cons to all of it, but I'm just citing them as well as even other Asian countries, China with Mao Zedong, he said, we're in the lower states right now. We're going to take the next 30 years. We're going to have to systematically maneuver ourselves so we can become autonomous. The president of Malawi, he was talking around that same language where he was like, we're cutting back on the corruption. We're going to take the time to learn. We're going to invite other people in and do business with them, but there has to be certain things in place so that we can then learn from them to be able to do it for our own, to create more jobs for our youth. And that they're trying to do that. How do you see being from both sides of the world? How do we take the models we've seen, whether it be from India, China, and other countries, or even America, how it got started was similar in ways. How do we now, being a global force as a people, literally all over the earth if you want to do this as i always tell people put afro anything panama afro brazil afro honduras afro paraguay afro anywhere you're going to see the aborigine or the indigenous people looking like you even in india the davidians you're going to find us everywhere even in some of the other as they say afro asiatic nations in japan and so forth so on that no one wants to talk about right but at the end of the day, we are there. We've been there not only in enslavement, like many of us were on this continent before enslavement, although a, a large portion of us were enslaved and came to this continent, but we were all over the world and we're still all over the world. But the, the problem is we're not speaking the same cultural languages, physical speech, whether it be we speak in English or we speak in Portuguese or we speak in this or we speak in that. How do we get back to the root of who we are? Because like what you did, that one thing you experienced, I've experienced millions of times. Even when I was driving Lyft, 8,000 people, I could connect with anybody because I knew how to get to the root of humanity. How much more so the root of your sector of humanity? How do we do that? What are some pathways you think so that when people come into the HBCU space, they take advantage of those, all those awesome things that you spoke about and are aware of the other things and still can maneuver and use those things as well to their advantage without selling out or without giving over their identity of who they are and can bridge those gaps? What would you say? Well, I'd say the first thing I would say is the educational institutions here abroad have to align themselves a little bit more closer mm -hmm. to the continent. They have to play a more visible role because that that can help spurn the interest, the development, just mm -hmm. the curiosity from both sides. If there if there was a closer relationship where there is an even exchange of ideas and opportunity, because the the, the biggest thing with what's going on is, and this is what the young man alluded to today was, is lack of opportunity. So that's why any opportunity to get a visa, to, to go to Canada, to go to England, to go to these places, mm -hmm. they run immediately. Why? Because where, they, where they're from, mm -hmm. their home base, there's no opportunity. They go to school and then they go to school some more and they just, they become lifelong um <laughs> People pursuing lifelong learners pursuing degrees because that's their that's their way to fill time because they can't the degree and the knowledge that they've uh, received can't translate into anything that they see. There's no industry, there's nobody mm -hmm. waiting for them to hire and recruit them. But you know who is the Western world? All the countries that are already developed, they have the infrastructure, they have all these things. 
But now when you, so this is why I say that the institutions have to align themselves because if you say you're a historically black institution, meaning when we look at the symbolism, you are there to serve Afro peoples, then you have to go to mm. back to where it all began. So if there was a more intensive and a more romantic relationship between the continents, we this wouldn't even be an issue for us because it would be second nature. Because as we had mentioned, if you step foot to go to school at HBCU, you should take at least a pilgrimage back home to some capacity mm -hmm. before you graduate. It should be a requirement to immerse yourself in another culture, to immerse yourself in the culture mm -hmm. of where you once came. Because then that allows people to get reconnected. Because everybody we talk to that has gone, in a lot of cases, majority of the time, yeah. it's a life-changing experience, right? So what if they did that earlier in their youth and they had the opportunity? It will formulate a different yeah. path, a different trajectory, different goals and different ambitions because they have touched, they have they have um, met uh, past mm -hmm. long-lost brothers and sisters and extended family members, and they can see themselves like, whoa. And then they'll begin to reevaluate life like, hold up. I felt at peace. I felt at home. A lot of people say I, I felt safe. And they'll begin to refocus and reshape how they envision life to be. So that will be the first thing. Like I said, and, but I, I lay heavy the heavier responsibility on the educational institutions, especially the ones abroad, because you know what happened. And you know the process of where we're in and the plight that currently exists. So you can't look and frown upon what's going on abroad because it's only by luck that you're mm. here and someone else is there. Because when we talk about it, because no one intentionally has a strategy of how they're brought into this world. You you can't True. select who your parents are. You can't select the plight or the class. No. You get what you get. You get the 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 the, the, uh, the hand that you were dealt, and that's it. And mm -hmm. then you have to make the most of your situation. So some people are born rich into rich mm -hmm. families. Some are into poor families. So are some are trust fund babies. Some are... are, are uh, mm -hmm. exposed to homelessness you just never know but the one thing that we all do know we we have the same blood we breathe the same air so that means the power source is the same but once we know and we can connect and we can bridge and we can make that union together i think it will help alleviate and i think it would also spurn a revolution in the sense that as you mentioned india countries like india what parts parts of the reasons why they were even able to leverage and be the 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 recipients of like the tech boom is why because it was based out of greed right so a lot of these corporations here in the west they're like huh we got to find a way to cut money but now the advent of the internet we have fiber optics we can now encroach as well as we can now kind of manipulate the labor force because we can go we can train people in other countries to do the jobs that were once done here so that's mm -hmm. why you see here in the united states now Call centers are like done away. I remember in Frostburg, Frostburg used to have tons of call centers. Then something happened in the 90s and early 2000s where all those call centers got shifted abroad. Why? Because they knew in India, because one thing about India is if you listen to their dialect, and I, I've tested some of those call center people where they'll talk, even though they have an accent, they can also speak in your lingo or with your accent, right? So... And, and they they can call, hey, welcome to T-Mobile. And you know this call's from India because I can tell by the, the pauses that this is an overseas call. But they're they're talking as if they're right down the Crucially. street. And this is what was attractive. You see how that works? So the dialect, and, you, and it's because of that. And then also because they had such a high population who a lot of them in some cases are educated, some not educated. They understand just that in the garden, just as we grew up and our parents wanted us to be doctors and, and to specialize in the sciences, the African countries, the Asian Pacific, they only mm. focus on STEM. They only focus on science, technology, engineering, and math. This is why the tech companies were like, whoa, these people are already doing calculus. We can easily train them how to do these IT mm. and computer science related jobs because they already have the foundations in place. It's, it, it's a easy, it's easy. And guess what? I don't have to pay them $150,000 a year. I could pay them twenty. dollars because based on their economics of their country, 20,000, that's middle class. So now you, you can see how the corporations now can, re can generate more profits because they're cutting what they consider to be the biggest liability, which is the human capital. So we cut the workforce, ship it overseas, and they've been doing it like crazy mm. since the 90s. This is why a lot of the companies we see now, they're roots and they have offices overseas. So the U.S. here, 
So this gets back to, because this is also something I want to point out. We This idea that we Afro people are the only ones who operate a division is a mm. complete false. And this is why I say this. That's just true. look at the United States. Just turn on the TV. Mm, Do you true. see unity on the news? But because it's in our own backyard, sometimes we only highlight what is most closest to us, which is our people. So when you go, you go to other places, you go to India, they're going to highlight the divisions between the tribes in India. Or when you go to China, you, they're going to talk about how the Chinese Taipei That's and true. these Taiwan, all these, all these issues. But but when you're not, you're not in it, we really can't see it. We think they're all one. Ah, they're divided too, because division is a, is about the human existence. Let's go back to Cain and Abel. One slew the other. There was no outside interference, but it was wickedness mm-hmm. on inter- on the inside of our hearts. And this is what plagues us and what perpetuates throughout history and perpetuates throughout time. But getting back to us and unification, it's the internal work and in us accepting ourselves. Because you know how the scriptures say, blessed are the merciful, mm-hmm. but they shall obtain mercy. When you understand that the things you have that this is not something you're entitled mm-hmm. to. Like life is a gift. And when you under, start to understand that, you'll be you'll begin to be a little bit more appreciative for life in general. So therefore, if you are appreciative, you will then be able to give grace and be and help others be appreciative as well. Where you're not looking to, I'm not looking to to outshine you. If you win, I'm like, oh man, congratulations, bro. Hey, that's what's up. I'm not gonna be secretly in back like, dang, this, he got this, <laughs> man. I hate that. I don't want that for him. Nah. Why? Why you hate? Because you have wickedness in your heart. You have you you have a void mm. in your own spirit that you can't even accept or mm. appreciate a good in somebody else. So th- this mm. is this is why identity is so important. And a lot of us, because we keep listening to outside influences and we're gunning to try to be things and be people and want to mm. fashion ourselves to fit in, you forget who you are and you mm. forget the goodness of who you could be. And this this is the paramount. This is the epitome as, as to why we don't move forward. Mm. This is why I go back to the HBCUs. Mm. the infighting the division like oh I'm better than you nah we're yes. not better than nobody we all the same cause we in the plight the same according to the masses they look at you the same I don't care look at our biggest entertainers you don't think they mm-hmm. run into racism white supremacy mm-hmm. and all that stuff well, every day but at some point in their lives they think they're above the fray because of some trinkets or some value mm-hmm. that was given to them like, like the other day when a student came to my office was like man did you watch the Emmys I was like I don't watch those type of things because when I look at the headlines and I see someone tell me who's 50, 60 years old, this is the greatest achievement that they've ever received in life. Immediately, that goes back to once again, mm. we haven't got as far as we thought we've gone. The Emmy. So you're saying that this is the highlight of your life because they recognized you. You you already knew you was good, but you need them to put the stamp of approval mm. that now, yeah, you've made it. Shame. Shame. It's shame. That's, that's where the shame comes in. And then we sit here and then people are glued to the televisions. I was like, there's so much mm-hmm. more to life than this. So this is why even, and it, you know, I have a point of view that's a little bit controversial because I don't even believe, there's parts of me that doesn't believe that the so-called advancement and development that we see taking place other places need to be mimicked in the garden. Majority of that stuff is unnecessary because they're trying to get out of it right now, aren't they? Like, let's go green by 2030. Da, da, da. So why are you following them when you could chart your own path? That's my that's my whole point, bro. See, that's my whole that's point. A, like a lot of this stuff you don't need and you don't. This is why I noticed. I remember when I went to I went I was a Barbados. I remember going to Barbados and when I went there, I saw I saw so many Europeans there. I'm like, what are they doing here? This, mm. But they were living. They retired. I said, hold up. When we retire, we're sitting here. They come to your countries, your places because the life, the standard of living is totally different. It's peaceful. peaceful. They, they come encroaching on your front doors. They go to Jamaica. They go to all the islands. They go to all the African countries. You see them. You, you saw that European that owned the, um, the bed and breakfast, mm-hmm. the resort. He's chilling from Belgium, wherever he came from. Peaceful. Mm-hmm. He can't he can't have that quality of life in his own country. So they nope. come to yours. Right. And what do we do? We open our arms and say, come on in. But then when it's the other way around, they kick you out. Colonization <laughs> is crucial, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crucial. 
but but we we gotta you know say we gotta be we gotta be able to see that because and that's the point. I, mean? I and I think what you I want you to go back because uh-huh. you talked about this even when you were in Zambia when that Eden anointing was released even more about the prodigal son who was in the West. Mm-hmm realize what you're talking about that is a pigsty is not exactly what you think it is you need to go in and get out kind of a mentality and then when he was coming back the brother who had been there that's angry he was having issues he was hating but he didn't know that he had something all the time the father said well you everything i have is yours. yours it's already here it's your mind that's it like our brother, I keep, I'm going to say it every podcast, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our mind. That's it. That's it. That's it. You're the answer. Period. Period. End of discussion. Once you Full realize stop. you're the answer, then the ingenuity, innovation at a whole nother level where we can build a green, like we call it in Ghana, the work we're doing, what? Green tech. And we're doing it. Why? Because we're putting our mind to it. We're finding solutions that can serve humanity from a non-GMO-ish mentality that is not going against nature, but we work with nature. That's who we are. We are the earth. That's why you have to get back to eating. You have to get back to the land. Another thing you said that I thought was powerful is the reason why India not only was able to do that because they were studying in those STEM areas, they were in their home country. Mm-hmm. They were rooted. That's why the HBCUs need to root again, reroot. It's going to look different. The Most High even said in the Word that He's going to get rid of all that tribalism and make one people. The staff of Ephraim and Manasseh will come to be one. Mm-hmm. So people are like, oh, we're we're from the tribe of this. Oh, and I'm from the tribe of this. And this group of people are from the tribe of Benjamin. And did it. That's trying to find identity. So I'm glad you said that. Because th- think about it this way: What if, and I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's people that do it, but what if University of Ghana, Lagoon, main campus, there's professors here who took six months to a year to go there and teach. So now you're bringing, mm. now you're bringing the tools that are studied here that these students want to have from the West. You have the trained PhD instructors to go there and teach them economics global and from their vantage point that they're not getting because if they're not well traveled well versed or industry ready there's certain things they just don't know we need to implement that with our exchange program the fact that you said that now that our professor from university of ghana is here in the states Mm -hmm. introducing that conversation at howard that's really powerful that particular point right there because even on on the flip side the economics, the opportunity, the lay of the land, the business, students here have no concept of what's going on outside mm. of the borders of the United States. So it's the ones that do have an idea are, once again, the ones whose parents are there so they get to travel back and forth and they get to see for themselves. But the vast majority of them, all they know is their home, their local area. That's it. So mm-hmm. let me ask you a question. At Howard, I know you work in the business mm-hmm. department. Are there Howard University as a whole, the other departments like in STEM and technology and all those other spaces, are they strong and are they interfacing with the business school to collaborate on their disciplines to make a stronger front on those things that are missing? Like you said, in India, the reason why they were able to take advantage of the tech coming over was they had the skill sets from the education. Do we have any interfacing there? Do Howard have strong points in other spaces in the in the STEM? Yeah, yeah. So, so you have like you know the the medical school is um, well known. You have engineering. Mm-hmm. So you you have those varying units, but they're all they're all in, in, independent silos. So mm-hmm. in, in a lot of so cases, they need to find a way to interface them in a way. You would think because that makes sense, mm-hmm. but. How it works on the the structure. Once you start getting into the power dynamics and the politics, certain arenas don't want to come to this arena because sometimes Mm -hmm. big bank take little banks. Sometimes more influence is revenue share. It's it's a lot of different things that go into, especially Uh, when when you're dealing with human beings and positions. You know, consolidation mm -hmm. gets real tricky. But in essence, Mm -hmm. there's there are some strong points, but it could be stronger if there was more collaborative efforts um, going forward. And maybe that's where the continent comes in place. If everybody's plugging in there and then using that angle, that's a that's yeah. a beautiful way to do it too. So that's sure. really but, interesting. But, but I, okay. I think the knowledge though, the, the key one is, it's almost like how 
the minister for education in, um, in Uganda when we were there in Luba, how he was talking about the best and the brightest have been sent over the sh- seashores, right? So mm-hmm. now this is another way for it to have that return element because now, like I said, the best and the brightest are coming to teach you. They're not here teaching, trying to get emeritus degrees and all this stuff here. Nah, they go, they're going back home to give, to empower and to put. So mm-hmm. some of that technology and stuff that might be theory based, but they may have the elements and can give you that 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 extra jolt to take you over the edge. So when we look at our brothers who are engineers, our brothers who are innovators and creators, there's certain elements that they're not used to because it's just not in their environment. It's not in their wheelhouse, their their circle their circle of influence. But now you can bring in someone from another country, someone from a different environment, somewhere from a different area who's now going to give you, hey, maybe I should do it this way because this is what we do. This is the technology that we've been utilizing um, for the last 10 years. Oh, it's just like cars. Every car manufacturer in the United States. So you look at Ford, you look at um, GM, you look at, um, then you go look at the Korean and the Chinese markets. Everybody has a different technology to their engines. This might have twin turbo. This might have CVT. This may have a Hemi. Everybody uses what they think is going to define and make them unique. But once again, mm. but there's an information share. So I can look and see, okay, how the how you can rev up the horsepower. But if you only have one way of doing it, there's nothing for you to compare it to because there's no collaboration of ideas. There's no exchange of information for you to even create something new. So that's why there has to be that happy marriage between there and here, especially among Afro peoples. Because it's that perfect union that's going to help prepare, propel A and to move the na- the world forward. I'm just not talking about that nation, the world in general. Because mm-hmm. like as you mentioned, we are spread out through every four corners of the earth. We're there. Mm-hmm. We're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you can just imagine mm-hmm. if we're able to galvanize and we're able to light that spark and collaborate to that level. The world, the, you talk about the world is that you're always, it's. There's nothing that yeah, you won't be able to do there. because we, we already, already have there. the people. Here in the United States, mm-hmm. whether it's, uh, they say the black women are the, the, the number one degreed. Like, so the education, the capital mm-hmm. is there. The men are there. And, yeah. you know, this even goes Everything. back to when we were growing up, how a lot of those tech, um, not tech, but like um, blue collar workers, whether you're a plumber, masonry, carpenter, that stuff used to be in schools. They took it out and said everybody mm-hmm. needed to go to college. And that kind of shifted the landscape of the labor force as well. So now people went from traditional entrepreneurial skills base, um, those abilities to now having to rely on educational or test and different mechanisms to determine whether or not you have the ability to go on to study. And this is that, I would say that Eurocentric, that British system, because they do the same thing overseas. This is why- Eliminate the competition. Exactly. Have them focus on our systems to make it stronger so then that becomes obsolete. And then what do they do? They say, ah, man, these people aren't qualified to fulfill these roles, these positions. But then they go to other countries. And this is why I learned this at. I remember one time I picked up this client and um, I was so mad to pick this guy up. This this was like (laughs) when Uber first started. He, 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 He requested an SUV and I was on my way home. And I was like, all right, I dropped somebody at the airport. Let me just turn this app on and see what's up. Then I got this ring. Two o'clock in the morning, picked this guy up in Virginia. This bamba went all the way to like Charlestown, West Virginia to go gamble. It was like two hours, almost like two hours away. I didn't know where I was so mad where I said I shouldn't even turn his app on. But on the way, I'm talking to him, come to find out he was from India and um, he was a computer science uh, student. He worked for Homeland Security. He was a government contractor, but he works for Homeland Security. So I'm talking to him about, because I you know I, I was in the college space trying to get some information on the computer science major requirements, he was like, yeah, you know, if it was left up to me, I would have been a history major, but my parents forced me to go into this IT stuff. I said, really? Mm. I said, were you good at math? He said, man, I'm horrible at math. I said, how'd you get a computer science degree, but you're horrible at math? That don't even make sense. He was like, in India, Mm. math is not even a requirement in that degree. It's more, they train you, they do coding and all that stuff. I said, hold up. That's when it realized to me, in the United States, Mm. One of the reasons why not a lot of students go into computer science and a lot of the engineering these fields is because they have to do calculus one, calculus two, calculus three, linear algebra, mm. uh, differential equations. It's 
It's so much math involved. But I said, hold up. You work for the federal government doing as a computer science individual, but the degree in your country didn't even include math. I said, this is when I knew it was a sham. This is when I knew it's not about who you're sitting in the classroom next, next who's sitting beside you. It's a, this is a global, remember that book, The World is Flat? This is a global phenomenon. I say U.S. Mm-hmm. companies require domestic students to be have all this education, but at the same time, they give the opportunities to other countries and don't even require half of the amount of education, which tells you, what is the education for? Because they're going to train you anyway. Right. I said, that's why I knew this was a scam. Yeah, and then, so you know how many students are going into debt, are trying to go to all these high-priced universities to get this degree, to obtain this job mm, that mm, somebody mm, in another mm, country mm, didn't mm, even pay a dollar for? Mm. Hey. I said, oh, y'all got us with the okie doke. <laughs> they got us. Cause fear, make it hard, barrier to entry. So then you stay at a consumer level, never produce a level, and then we'll use them because they're not going to be able to produce either. It's the, the, the Jekyll Island <laughs> effect. Oh, sure. Get rid of the competition. They got us with the okie doke. I said, oh, so, 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 so I tell the students all the time, you got to tell them that story. They're like, word for real? I said, hey. You got to you you, are, you think you're competing against your local community? No, this is a global mm. competition. Just look at the news, industries. This stuff is global. So what happens mm. across the pond is going to directly affect you: prices, opportunity, supply, mm. demand. You see, you hear that that war going on right now with the Houthis? Them mamas is lighting up that Suez Canal. And then what? Then, then all of a sudden, <laughs> gas prices gonna go up. Cost of goods is gonna go up. Oh, because this because this raw material is in need. This is going to go up. And you, you're going to be affected either way. So keep your eyes open to the ground because you think it doesn't affect you. No, it's affecting you. You better pay attention. Everything is affecting us. Right. It may not be directly affecting you. All of our brothers and sisters who are being in the Congo right now, providing the coltane for all these devices we're on, we think it doesn't affect us because we got the new iPhone this and we got the new. It's impacting you internally spiritually that's why it's so important for us to get back to eat and get back to the land so we get our sensory back get our connection back to the most high then if you seek first the kingdom and the right way that the most high has already laid the blueprint all these things will be added to you so thank you for sharing that insight brother man that was really powerful and we'll catch you on our next podcast